Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Well, if you tuned in to the podcast last week hoping to hear expert analysis about the Chuck Staben departure at University of Idaho, you are out of luck because it happened too late for uh, last week's podcast. But you're in luck this week because that's where we're going to start Pretty tumultuous week up at the U of I, and a pretty tumultuous week uh, again for the State Board of Education, which is kind of becoming almost a weekly occurrence. Yeah, at this point we have not one but two prominent presidential searches on our hands. Last week we Probably did Probably the talk. most uh, prominent yeah. university searches they could have. These are the, the, the top, uh, top drawer high-profile uh, vacancies uh, that you could have in this university system. But let's go back uh, to last Friday after we had recorded... Uh, our podcast got kind of a surprise news release on the Friday before the Memorial Day weekend announcing that the State Board of Education and that Chuck Staben had, the term is mutually agreed, that the upcoming school year would be President Staben's final year. Uh, so he stays in the through 2018-19 and then he is out and a new president comes in. Honors his existing contract and then it expires and he moves on. Right. So kind of a tale of two statements here, and, and we're kind of having to lean on the statements because the state board is not talking beyond uh, what they released on Friday. Uh, Staben is not speaking beyond what he released on Friday. State board issued a four-paragraph news release on Friday morning, very terse, left a lot of questions unanswered. Staben countered almost instantaneously, almost immediately, right with a lengthy letter to the university community, which didn't really answer every question that I have. It sort of elaborated some on what this was not about, what was not the reason behind his departure. Namely, uh, Stephen spoke about how, this, uh, how his departure has nothing to do with an ongoing uh, sexual misconduct investigation going on within the University of Idaho's athletic department. He did mention it in his... Uh, I guess you could call it a resignation letter, right. but he said that that was not the reason behind his departure. He, he did talk a little bit about uh, the move for the football program to move to the Big Sky Conference and move out of the top level yeah. of, uh, of NCAA football, saying that that was uh, a point of disagreement, which is uh, certainly... A, a euphemism. Fair, <laughs> that's a, that's a, a, a fair description. I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to dispute that. He, he acknowledged that. He acknowledged that his uh, his search for a job, uh, his candidacy for a job at the University of New Mexico uh, posed a distraction. Yep. So a lot of discussion of past issues and you know past sources of discontent and, and discord, but no real explanation as to why now and why why he's leaving. So we kind of have to lean on that. And you kind of have to parse the two statements and sort of try to read the tea leaves as best you can. That's kind of what we've been uh, doing these past few days. Another development that came out uh, last week and into this week, and Chad Kripe from the Idaho Statesman reported on this uh, late last week. Uh, I blogged about it earlier this week, a letter from 14 prominent boosters, letter that went to the State Board of Education. Timing's important here, and we'll talk now more about the timing yeah. in the next couple of minutes. Mar May 14th, letter went from the boosters to the State Board of Education, urging the board to make a change at the top uh, at the University of Idaho. Four-page letter, scathing letter. Uh, a lot of the emphasis 
in the letter is on athletics. Now, these are boosters. These are folks who raise money for athletic scholarships, right. so it probably stands somewhat to reason that it's about athletics. A lot of you know, discontent, a lot of uh, you know, animosity over the move uh, to the big sky, the, the football program's move to the big sky. Some mention of the athletic uh, investigation, the, the sexual misconduct yeah. investigation. But what the boosters were saying, they were criticizing Staben for placing the athletic director, Rob Spear, on administrative leave. A leave that is continuing, by the way, and is now indefinite. That's extended. news that came yeah. out on Thursday uh, from the U, U of I. The boosters criticized Staben for putting Spear on leave at all, saying that there was no cause for it, that there was no evidence to support that move. Only after you go through all of this and you go through some criticism of Staben's management style and personality do you start to get into some academics, some discussion of financial crises facing the academic uh, arena, uh, maybe consolidation of programs caused, according to the boosters, by a decrease in the number of resident students at the Moscow campus, uh, leading to uh, you know, a reduction in revenue. So heavy emphasis on athletics in that letter, maybe a lighter focus on academics. Now we got to talk about the timing, and that's where I think we need to go here, here the next couple of minutes. May 14th, letter goes to the state board. Mm -hmm. May 25th, the Friday morning surprise, uh, the announcement comes from the state board that the board and Staben had mutually come to an agreement to, to part ways. So 11 days, what happened in between, that's what we're really trying to get a handle on. And, and it's really difficult when, again, nobody's talking about the chronology or the timing or the process. You looked into it a little bit further. What were you able to piece together? I had reached out to some officials with the State Board of Education earlier this week trying to to take a step back and find out about the process that led to this. I wanted to talk about the timing, and I requested interviews with the State Board's Executive Director, Matt Freeman, and the President of the Board, Dr. Linda Clark. And the State Board didn't give me too much. Uh, they said that... They declined is, your interview they request. Declined so the cone of silence My is, interview uh, request, um, saying that this was a personnel matter. I wanted to get a little insight into when President Staben and the State Board discussed this to reach that Mutual agreement is the language that the state board and Chuck Staben have been using. I wanted and to find out. And whether it was mutual or not, it was certainly an orchestrated yeah. announcement on Friday morning. I mean, you know, Staben had to have his letter pretty much in in the can, ready to go as soon as the state board made its announcement. The University of Idaho came out with a press release right on top of the state board's announcement. So this this didn't come from out of the blue. I mean, this had been in the works, obviously, for some time. Leading up to Friday. Yeah, and I was a little bit surprised, I guess, perhaps, and maybe this isn't me fully understanding the process. I was a little bit surprised that the news came in the form of a press release rather than, say, a vote or a motion out of a state board meeting. Uh, the state board addressed that particular question I had and said that they actually took no action, that Staben has an existing contract through the upcoming school year, and they're just not going to renew that. But they took no action. Therefore, they did not need to vote in open session. I also had questions about, well, by taking no action, this triggers the necessity for a new presidential search. It will trigger 
the expenditure of taxpayer money a on second the search, search aside from the ongoing search for a Boise State president which could be in the neighborhood of $100,000 if we go by previous searches sure. as an example uh, and they said that they are going to piggyback the new it's called an RFP but that's like a legal document requesting bids requesting proposals for it a lays search out the specs for what they're going to look for in a contractor who will look now for I guess two presidents, uh, one search firm dealing with both searches, perhaps, or perhaps, or maybe or separately. We who, haven't who seen knows. it. They're they're developing the RFP. Right. It's not final yet, and so that's a legal document that will go out essentially to begin the process to solicit bids from a search committee. The state board spokesperson said they will piggyback that RFP with the Boise State RFP for a presidential search that was approved in open session. On May 17th, and then before they actually disseminate those RFPs, let those out, publicize them, the state board is expected to vote in open session to approve the language and the wording and the particulars and so forth. So we don't know when the decision, when this agreement was made. We don't know in what exact capacity these meetings took place. We do know, however, we believe that it took place in some sort of executive session, a closed-door meeting among the State Board of Education members. And it is perfectly legal for the State Board of Education, and they do this all the time, to enter into a closed-doors executive session for about three different reasons. One of them including, would be to, to discuss personnel matters, personnel. which would apply here. We know that we don't know which executive session they talked about this at. And I asked that specifically, and the spokesperson did not know or would not say. Right. We and do know that the board met in executive session after the letter from the University of Idaho boosters reached the state board. I know for a fact the state board met in executive session um, both on May 16th and on May 17th. Right, and, and they met in those executive sessions to interview candidates for the still vacant job at Boise State and to discuss that vacancy. Now, once they're in executive session, there there's nothing precluding the board from talking about another personnel matter. And that, that may well have happened. So we don't know, again, we don't know whether this uh, booster letter had any influence over the, the state board's deliberations because we don't really know when those deliberations took place. We just know when the letter was dated, when the announcement came. We do know that there were some intervening executive sessions. So still a lot of intrigue surrounding this whole, whole situation. There is... A lot we don't know, and I just want to back up real quick and talk about why it was so important. I'm not trying to suggest that anybody on the state board did not follow the law or did something untoward here. I'm not trying to suggest that at all. But what I am saying and what was important to me as a journalist, Kevin, is that I wanted to find out how this happened. I wanted to answer some of these unanswered questions. And sort of my position that I come back to here is that these presidential openings, these presidential searches are among the biggest, most high-profile decisions the state board will make. The taxpayers we know are going to pay for the presidential search. The taxpayers we know are going to pay the salaries of these new presidents. And so I was just trying to ask some questions to get some more information to maybe shine a little bit more light on this process and this decision. I think it's very important. I think it's going to affect education and higher education in Idaho, certainly for years to come. It's coming at a time when leadership all over the political and education landscapes is turning over, perhaps in historic measure, 
this year and next year. And so I was just trying to add a little more sunlight. I was just trying to push towards a little bit more information to the public. What happened here? When did it happen? When were the decisions made? Who were the parties involved? And, and the state board's response was, number one, that it's a personnel matter, and so they're not going to comment on the mechanics of that. And number two, they said that they took no action, and so that's how they're addressing my questions about did this need to take place in an open meeting with a motion and a vote? Because generally speaking, generally speaking, painting with a broad brush, the Idaho open meeting law requires government entities, including the State Board of Education, to make decisions in public. And, and there's procedures. You, you notice a meeting, you post an agenda, you have a motion, and, and then a vote. But they're saying they took no action here. They're letting the existing contract expire. Uh, and, and so that's their position. But I, I pushed back just a little bit just to try and make this perhaps a little bit more transparent um, situation. No, and, and there, there are questions about the process here that are separate, in my view, and, and I think in yours, separate questions from the, the questions of the personnel matter. Yeah, here. I mean, yeah. You know, I, I think that an agency can talk about the process behind a decision and not violate any sort of confidentiality on personnel matters. I, I think you can, you can draw a pretty bright line between the two. And unfortunately, we can't really give you much more of a sense of either the process or, or the, the underlying reasons behind the decision. So and, and, and that's any, where we are right now. Any governing entity can go above and beyond the letter of the law of what's required with both the Idaho Open Meeting Law and the Idaho Public Records Act. You can go above and beyond that in terms of best practices for a transparent process. And, and so, yes, the law is sort of the baseline of what has to be followed and what's expected, but... You can go beyond that. Right. Um, but I don't know. I just wanted to give people a little... Uh, we do know there are some unanswered questions. We're trying to get information to the public. We know there is a high degree of public interest, and the stakes are high when we talk about these big presidential searches. It's going to affect a lot of people. These things are going to cost a lot of money. Um, and so we're just trying to get as much information out there as possible. That, that That's sort of my way of trying to explain... What happened? Why we don't know what we don't know? What the state's board's position is? And then if it seems like I'm kind of meddling and pushing here and and, and being cranky about it, just a little insight into why we were why I was asking some of the questions right. that I did. Um, and from but, here, we'll just follow both of these searches. They're 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 important uh, processes, so we'll we'll watch them very closely. We had a meeting this week. It's almost going to become a beat. A little now, and then maybe it'll slow down a little in the summer and then pick up in the fall once those RFPs are out and once we get to the process where we start looking at a specific search firm. Um, and, and, and so we'll, we will maybe have some news in the, in the next little bit, but it might slow down for the summer and then pick up again in the fall. But it, we are going to treat it like a beat. We are going to cover both presidential searches seriously and, and try to give the public and the respective university committees communities and certainly the taxpayers just as much insight into what's going on because we know the interest is there and the stakes are high and these are very very important decisions so stay tuned uh, but it is something that's very much on our radar and that we're very much committed 
um, to covering. If you want to, if you need to circle back, if you missed some with the Memorial Day weekend and your family's holiday plans, head back to the homepage at idahoednews.org. We've got the latest coverage uh, from what we know about the University of Idaho vacancy, the decision moving forward, as well as any developments on uh, the Boise State search, head over to idahoednews.org and you can catch up there if you missed anything at all. Okay. Um, but I do want to shift gears. It, it was a busy week on the higher education front, uh, but that wasn't all that we did. Kevin, you really took a closer look at some of the advanced opportunities programs that the state of Idaho has, and that's one way that high school students are able to get a jump start on their college education, on higher education. Can you can you kind of let us have a little insight into what advanced opportunities are and then what your article dealt with this week? The advanced opportunities program is a big deal, and we've talked about it here a lot. Yeah. It's a, it's a program that's allowing high school students to take college-level classes on the taxpayer's dime. Uh, the idea being to encourage high school students to consider uh, going to college, to continue their education, giving students a flavor for what it's going to take to pass a college-level class, and also uh, have some college credits in hand as they leave high school so that they've got a jump start on college and maybe they can get their degree more quickly and uh, uh, you know, in a more affordable way. Yeah. So this is a $15 million program in 2018-19. That's how much the state has set aside to pay for these programs. So what I wanted to do was look at kind of where the money is going now. And where the money goes is completely dictated by how many students decide to take advantage of the program, how many students decide to take a college-level class or an advanced placement test or an international baccalaureate t- test, because all of those are covered. Yep. So what I looked at, and I looked at the numbers from 2016-2017, these are the State Department of Education's numbers, what I found was that when you look at it in a per-pupil basis, students in larger school districts and students in charter high schools got a little bit more per-pupil from this program than students in, you know, every other district, including the smaller districts in the state. So a little bit of a skew towards uh, larger districts, more urban school districts, and towards charters. In both cases, more money being spent per student than the state average in those areas. The West Data School District, in particular, the state's largest district, you would expect that a lot of the money would be going there. uh, Because there are a lot of students. And that is what happened, more or less. Right, and... but I wanted to look at it per pupil yeah. so that uh, we're on a, a level plane here to compare our West data with a, with a smaller school district. So that's what I found. Talking to the State Department of Education, they point out, and they're right about this, that you've got some rural school districts out there that are doing this really well, that are really encouraging their students to, to take advantage of these programs. It cuts both ways. You've got some rural districts where you've got high participation. You've got some rural districts where you've got very low participation. So looking at it in the aggregate, the the numbers are a little bit lower in the rural districts. And there are a lot of reasons. Access is difficult. It's tough to get these college-level classes into rural high schools. That's always going to be a challenge. Um, You are 
at some level also going to be dealing with, with some cultural issues where maybe uh, students in rural communities and rural households haven't been thinking about college. They, they haven't been contemplating uh, a life beyond high school and an education beyond high school. So again, and we've talked about this before, the state really trying to change the way students across the state think about their options beyond high school. So that's what I found. I also talked to the state board, and they've looked at a different set of numbers from previous years where they feel like the numbers uh, show that rural students are taking advantage of these college-level classes, and maybe even to a greater extent than their urban counterparts. So the numbers are mixed. The, the research is a little bit of a mixed bag at this point, and what I was trying to do is just sort of lay a groundwork for what's happening right now. We'll see a new round of numbers on this program coming up this summer. We'll follow it up. Part of a bigger project that I'm going to be working on these next few months, looking at life after high school, continuing the work that I've done on this uh, topic with an eye definitely uh, towards uh, rural districts, towards uh, at-risk students, students from poverty, uh, students from Latino households or Native American households, trying to look at some of the uh, the gaps, the demographic gaps that we're seeing. So this is sort of a, a, a way of getting a start at looking at the, some of these larger issues, uh, crunching a few numbers and kind of laying out what we know at this point. It's, it's mixed. What we know is, is not conclusive. Uh, it really depends on what year you look at and what set of data you look at. Interesting stuff, and it does fit in with kind of this whole project you're taking a look at, um, higher education and students transitioning from high school uh, to their higher education. It fits right in there with what we're looking at, and it also fits right in there with uh, some of the priorities and some of the proposals that have come out of the legislature as we look to um, hopefully make progress towards our 60% our goal of having 60% of Idaho's young adults hold some sort of post-secondary degree or a technical certificate, some sort of education beyond high school. So it all fits in there with a number of important topics that are on everybody's mind right now in an important time in education. So check that out, and I know we'll be eager and curious to find uh, the, the, the newest batch of numbers that will come out later this summer and to follow your reporting uh, on higher education issues this summer and, and this fall. I know yes. that we're all looking forward to that. So thanks for keeping tabs on that, Kevin. No, no problem. And, and let's switch gears now to talk about a to uh, story you had earlier this week. Uh, you talked to a new person in State Superintendent Sherry Barra's inner circle. Uh, not new to us, somebody we've, uh, we've covered in the past. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Peter McPherson and what we need to know about him. Yeah, this summer, a uh, little bit of a leadership change at the State Department of Education underneath State Superintendent Sherry Ybarra. Uh, she announced earlier this month that she had hired Peter McPherson, who's the superintendent of the Chalice School District, to serve as her chief deputy. Now, he's going to succeed Pete Kohler, uh, who played a large role in Ybarra's administration and one of, was one of the very first hires that Superintendent Ybarra made after winning uh, the 2014 election. Uh, this is a major hire. He's going. Uh, Peter is going to be essentially the number two school leader in the state, uh, right under Superintendent Ibarra. And he's going to be. I mean, we we see Pete Kohler a lot. We saw all the him time. at the state house. We saw him a lot at uh, at committee meetings and interim committee meetings. I mean, this is a very public position. This is a person who is going to have some measure of day to day control over the state Department of Education, which is about 130, 140 employee 
operation that it's, works with school districts to it's help. It's kind of almost a chief of staff position yeah. even without necessarily that title. We expect this person to, we expect Peter to testify before the legislature, uh, to work with external groups from the governor's office, to education groups, uh, to citizens and taxpayers, to schools. He'll probably do media interviews, may appear on TV, and is really going to help, along with an existing policy person, Duncan Robb, is really going to help bring Superintendent Ybarra's message and vision to the public and the legislature and the policymakers at large. But that's all contingent on the fact that, uh, on the idea that Sherry Ibarra gets reelected in November. I mean, sure, we know well, everything could change, and the, the, the lineup could certainly change and be overhauled if uh, Cindy Wilson is elected as opposed to Sherry Ibarra. Yeah, I, and I talked to Peter. I, I've known him for about three years or so. Uh, I, I actually went out there for the Rural Schools four-day series that you were working on. That was my little contribution. I got to know Peter and visited his school district in Chalice. He's been the superintendent there since 2014. And two things, just really quickly, that he said he wanted to focus on as chief deputy superintendent were being a champion uh, for rural teachers and rural students was one thing he wanted to focus on. The second thing, he is a big believer in, some people call it mastery-based education, other Mm -hmm. people call it personalized learning But that's the direction that Superintendent Ibarra and the governor's task force want to go with education in the state of Idaho. It's kind of a complicated idea, but it's essentially that students learn at their own pace, that they don't advance based on age groups, that they advance based on when they literally demonstrate mastery of a concept. And so that will allow some students to advance a little more quickly, but in other areas, students may need a little bit more time. Uh, to to reach that master mastery barrier. There are pilot programs going on in the state of Idaho, but this year the legislature expressed some reservations about mastery. Right, and so we're, slow down. I don't know if we're necessarily at a crossroads, but it's at a talking point, and it is a big proposal for the state of Idaho. That's something that Peter wants to champion. He does have that experience in that rural, uh, geographically isolated, small school district. He wants to bring that perspective to the State Department of Education. Um, and he does he is an ally of Superintendent Ibarra, not surprisingly, and he has served on her superintendent's cabinet. So they know each other well. And Peter actually told me that Superintendent Ibarra approached him about this position. But if you want to find out a little bit more, this is a very important position at the State Department of Education. Uh, Pete Kohler is retiring in June. He had played a very large role uh, in the first three-plus years of Superintendent Ibarra's administration, we expect Peter McPherson uh, to play a large role uh, for however long uh, right. he holds Certainly the position. Certainly the next few months, and if Ibarra is reelected, I would imagine a continuing large yeah. role in so 2019. If, yeah, if you want to get to know him a little bit better and his background, uh, his goals for the position, head over to idahoednews.org. Uh, scroll down a couple of days. I think I published that on Tuesday of this week, so scroll down a little bit. Uh, to find it and, and find out a little bit about what they have in mind for that position uh, and, and his priorities there. But but my goodness, that was a busy week. E- even following up on the hills of, of the election from a couple of weeks ago, things really haven't settled down for us. The summer will be an important time as we make leadership decisions, as we make policy decisions, as we implement uh, some of the new laws that will come on the books July 1st, I know the school funding formula committee is going to be getting back together and touring the state. And so just because schools are getting out and we're seeing graduations does not mean things are slowing down. 
really on the policy implementation and development front, a lot of it happens over the summer. Yeah. And we'll be there to track it and to let people know how it's going, what new changes you can expect in the upcoming school year. And so uh, stick with us. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Idaho Ed News and continue to listen to the Extra Credit Podcast where we'll break down all of our most important stories each and every Friday. We have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast and we're glad uh, that everybody joins us. But I think, Kevin, that covers just about everything I wanted to get to uh, from a busy week. Uh, did I leave anything out? No, I think we uh, hit the highlights of this week. And again, if you want to delve into any of these topics further, go to idahoednews.org and, and read the stories and scroll around and see what else has been going on this week. It's, it's been busy. All right, sounds good. As always, thank you so much for joining us on Extra Credit. We have a lot of fun. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.